They're like black bread. I forgot my, my retainers oh. at home. Crap. My brother Henry, he's like, the yellow and orange ones are the best. And I'm like, who are you? Yeah, anyone, I seriously don't trust any human being who's like, yellow and orange starbursts are the best. I'm like, no, you're probably well, harboring some terrible secrets deep down. Well, like, that's yeah. just not but acceptable. But also, he's like, I hate strawberries and blueberries and any kind of berry. Yeah, so again, don't trust him. I'd sleep with at least one eye open. That's that's what I will say when it comes to your brother. He and my uh, friend, we were messing around in Spanish on a Kahoot that was going up because we were doing stations. Mm -hmm. And he opens up like a bunch of tabs. I open up like 12. Oh my. And uh, he just made like random bot accounts. And I do the same, but the thing is, I did it with K pop members from uh, iZone. As you can see, I guess. Mm. So, we're going to get started, because here we are. We only have a few classes left. In fact, here's what I know that's you're choking on your, on your <laughs> anger right now, Ella. It's okay. I understand it. I'm, I'm sad, too. Um, so, we only have a couple classes left. And actually, what we did today is uh, Miss Judy and I made a decision. Uh, I was going to teach you about the early church and Paul and Paul's writings and all that really fun stuff. Instead, we're going to flip-flop. So, what we're actually going to do today is talk about uh, the book of Revelation. And the next week, or the next time we have class, I should say, uh, we will uh, cover Paul and his life and letters, uh, Judy will, and then that'll be it. I mean, then we're getting ready, we'll be studying for an exam after that. So this is quiz your next till, quiz am. I, yeah, I don't want to freak you out, it's just a quiz am, not a real exam. So, uh, so tonight we're going to do um, some work with the book of Revelation. And so the first question I have is, where in the Bible is Revelation? The end. The end, right? It's the very end. So do me a favor. If you could open up your Bibles to the end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation. So if you could look it up, and what I would love to hear is once you find it, I would love for someone to read for us the first three verses. So Revelation 1, we said it's at the very, 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 very end. So once we're all there, in a moment, we're going to read together, and it looks like, Maddie, you're going to be our professional reader for the, uh, the evening. Uh, if you could read for us the first three verses of the book of Revelation. Go ahead. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witnesses to the word God and, the, and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to, all the, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads, the, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep that, what is written in it for the time is near. Oh my gosh, so we're blessed, right? We're no, reading it. No, you're I'm blessing blessed. us. I read. Well, you're blessed, but then being in your blessed presence blesses us. So thank you for blessing us tonight. Um, so what's going on here? Let's, let's talk a little bit about what you just read. So um, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, right, uh, which took place, and how did this person, who, who's writing this? What's the name of the dude writing this book? John. John, right, okay. So first things first, do we know a John? From anywhere else? Yeah. Right. What other John do you know? Uh, John at school. The, John at school. Excellent. Okay, maybe a different John. Ephraim John. Biblical John. Guy. Which one? The gospel. The gospel guy, John. 
this is not that John. So, so the first thing I want to clarify to you is that this is not that John. Uh, it says here in my Lutheran study Bible, it says John is named as the author of Revelation. Legend claims that he was the beloved apostle of Jesus. The author of Revelation, however, identifies himself only as John. It was a common name and he makes no claim to be an apostle or to have ever seen Jesus during his time on earth. This John likely was a leader of several Christian communities in what is now known as Western Turkey. So, first things first, John is a common name then as it is now, okay? So this John, although it's really easy for us to think, oh, this must be the gospel guy, or not eighth grade John, um, what we have here is someone completely separate. And it may even be the case, right, that this John, this guy maybe even wasn't named John, but he used the name, why? Because you sometimes, if you have to remember, if you want to get published, you use a name that people recognize. You're much more likely to get published, right? So, so for this person, whether his name is whatever it is, doesn't really matter. What's important to realize is that he's not good. There's a good guess that he's not the writer of the gospel. Okay. So then, who came to John? Jesus. An angel. An angel, right? An angel. So an angel comes to John, and an angel tells John. Um, this vision. So in other words, he has a vision. Uh, the best way to think about visions is, have you ever had really vivid dreams? Have you ever had like a really vivid dream where it felt pretty real? Yeah. You're yeah. like, we're like, you wake up and you have that weird moment where you're like, are also I had dreams dream are once. also pretty nightmares. Okay, nightmares too, yeah. I had a dream once where I woke Dreamish up in nightmare. the morning and I went to school and then like a few seconds later, my mom woke me up and I actually went to school. Frightening, right? Okay. It's a very awful dream. So we've had those dreams. And I got followed by someone on my Instagram account, but it wasn't real because they checked them in the morning. So the, we've had these really vivid dreams where we actually have to like go and look it up, right? We're like, you have to like research to make sure you're like, actually dreaming, right? Like you wake up and you're like, wait a second, or you go and like look for something. I've done it where I think I'm like, I've lost something in my dreams, like I'll lose something. And like I'll wake up and have to go find that thing to make sure that like, was I dreaming or was this real? So uh, so uh, the best and easiest way to think of a vision is sort of like a dream, right? Now whether or not you're asleep or awake doesn't matter. What matters is it's a very, very um, bold sort of experience. It's one that really leaves an impact, so much so that he writes this, uh, this rather long book that now um, is at the end of our Bible. So, um, so the style of this is, this is written, if you keep reading, what, are the, what is the next verse? Ella, can you just read the next verse, verse uh, four? John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Okay, so what does that sound like? To the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace from the one who is and who's from. What does that sound like the beginning of? A revelation. Revelation, okay. We'll talk more about that in a second. But, but just practically speaking. The apocalypse. Okay, we'll talk more about that. Those are the same thing. What else? What does this sound like? What kind of writing is this? It sounds like a letter, right? It's like addressed, right? To who? The seven churches that are in Asia, right? And then grace to you and peace, right? That's a really like old, tiny way of being like, hey, how's it going? Do you guys ever write letters? No. No, that's the right answer. No one What's does. a letter? Exactly. <laughs> Computers make us need not write letters. Um, so, so back in the day, you have to imagine yourself, like back in like 20 years ago, people used to write letters, okay? And believe it or not, like we're going to suspend uh, reality for just a moment. 
and and what you would do is you'd write dear so and so right dear so and so I am at camp and camp is going well send new underwear love you Zach right whatever it is right like my letter home to my mom from camp so you used to do that so here we have the format of a letter made us do it. so John well you might have to do it in school they may they might make you have to practice this. yeah they force us to write it to our ourselves sometimes. Okay, right. Yeah, at Atwood we had to write a letter to somebody at our house, but then we didn't get it till like a year after. I just swore oh, it off. Wait, but I, I got it at like a year later, and my mom found it, and she was like, you wrote this to our cat? And I'm like, yeah. You're like, yeah, well, it was to the most important member of the household, okay? Yeah. And you were like, come on. So I now... I just rip mine off once when I got it back. I want to. I want to clarify a few things. And so, uh, so Liam, you, you made you made a guess, but it's it's going to lead us to the next conversation. The word revelation. So, if you were to look at the second word after the, so the revelation. That's the so really what's the first actual word of this gospel is revelation. But the word actually isn't revelation. The word in Greek is apocalypsis. Okay, which is where we get our word apocalypse from. So now I want to ask this question. When you hear the word apocalypse, what kind of stuff comes to mind? Have you ever heard that word? The apocalypse. Yes, yeah. yeah. All right, so let's. Apocalypse, I, I want to hear. Yeah. Give me. Zombies. All right, so we have, of course, zombies. Purge. The purge. Okay, what else? More zombies. More zombies. Smart zombies. All right, so we'll just say um, zombies. How about this? Zombies galore. How about that? That way, with an exclamation point or two. What else? Said dead people. What else? De okay, so dead people who maybe aren't alive again. You really? Oh, you came at the right time. Um, right. What? What else do we think of when it comes to chaos? Chaos. Great word. Chaos. Right? People aren't sure what's going on. What other words come to mind? People chanting, honey, honey, give me money. Honey, honey, give me money. I knew we were going to fit that in. That may be your personal apocalypse. I don't think um, money will matter. I, I think money may not matter anymore. Good point. Um, we're talking about, oh, you came at just the right time. We're talking about the apocalypse and what words and phrases come to mind. So, fire. Fire is a great one. Excellent. So, fire. Any other, any other words that come to mind? So when we hear the word apocalypse, do we think good things or bad things? Bad things. Bad, bad things. things. Yes. Signs of bad things. Maybe a tiny bit of good things. No. No. Not none. any good none. things. Okay. Isn't the apocalypse where everyone dies? Yes. Oh, oh, it could just be like an apocalypse of people protesting. What? You never know that. Okay. Apocalypse. <laughs> Alright, so we have zombies galore, the purge, dead people, everyone, because that came up that everyone's dead, fire, chaos, bad things of all kinds. Okay, so this doesn't seem like a real positive outlook, right? So one of the challenges we have, and one of the challenges for us tonight, is to determine exactly what is going on here. Right, so we have this word apocalypse. So if you were to see this in Greek, this would be the apocalypsis, right? So this isn't, the book of Revelation means the book of apocalypse, right? So we have a very particular thing going on. And so what we're gonna do tonight is spend a little bit of time unpacking what that means. And one of the first things I want to do is uh, have someone read for us out of this uh, Bible in the center. 
Uh, out of the Lutheran Study Bible, if someone could take that and read the what's the story part. Can someone, Ella, would you be willing to read for us? Yeah. So grab the Bible, and if you could read, so this is out of the Lutheran Study Bible, the introduction to Revelation. Could you read for us the portion that just says what's the story? John presents his message in an ancient style of writing known as Apocalypse. The word is often used today to mean the end of the world catastrophe. The Greek word apocalypsis, however, simply means revelation. It refers to an unveiling or revealing of something that was previously hidden. In scripture, an apocalypse tells of, of, tells of an experience with the supernatural world in which the author is usually guided by a mysterious being. It is filled with striking, fantastic images of conflict between good and evil, and ends in a glorious triumph of God's forces of good. This sounds like a book. Yep. Like a book. Right. Felt like a first. That's what a Bible was. See Daniel seven through twelve for another example of apocalyptic writing. Revelation does not have a storyline that moves in a logical sequence from one scene to the next. Instead, it offers a series of visions. Some of these visions are repeated with slight alterations in other chapters. Some build upon previous visions. Revelation presents two kinds of visions. Terrifying episodes of violence and glorious visions of victory and celebration. As in the writings of the Old Testament prophets, the terror always gives way to the promise of God's triumph. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So the terror always gives way to God's triumph. So Here's what I want you to think about. So when we hear the word revelation, when we hear the word apocalypse, we always go really, 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 really negative. And what Ella just wrote, uh, read for us was, yeah, there's some frightening stuff up in there, right? So there is some of that going on. But the terrifying always gives way to the positive. In other words, this book ends with the sake of revealing to us something previously unseen. Yes? A new tree is born. So what you're saying is that a, like, a victim of, say, um, Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. There's good in that. No, not Freddy Krueger. I'm saying for God. Good. Okay. okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So I will never say that bad things happen in the world for good purposes. Like sometimes just awful things happen and they're just awful for the sake of being awful. So that's an excellent point. But with, our, with this writing in particular, the idea is that these things end up revealing something greater and that greater thing is a good thing. It's good news for us. And the phrase I really loved was... Apocalypsis, right, is a revealing of that which was previously hidden. So the best way it can be described is when you hear about an apocalyptic writing, it's actually a genre of writing, like horror or mystery or something, right? So apocalypsis, an apocalyptic writing, is an ancient genre of writing, in particular a genre of writing that usually involves someone having a vision, right, being led on a vision, and then it reveals something which was previously hidden, revealing that which was previously hidden. The best way to describe it is, picture you have something going on, have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? What and about there's, Final Destination? Uh, oh, Final, like the movies? Yeah. Those are, those are just bizarre movies in general. Um, those, are, well, those are kind of apocalyptic in nature. Yeah. yeah, weird movies nonetheless, and they've made like 40 of them, which kind of is the issue, but they've gotten worse this time. Anyway, now I'm sidetracked. So, <laughs> back on the track. Um, have you ever seen Wizard of Oz? And at the yeah. end, what happens? What's, there's a curtain, and what's behind the curtain? A man. Yes. A not what man. you expect, though. Right? Okay, so frightening, but not what you'd expect. <laughs> so the apocalypsis, you have to think about these writings as a curtain being pulled aside, and you get to see behind the curtain what's really going on. 
And sometimes what's actually going on is not what it looks like on the outside, right? So you're getting to see behind the scenes a little bit. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit, listen a little bit, read a little bit, listen a little bit. So on the TV tonight, I'm going to play you clips uh, from a series uh, that was put together by Dr. Barbara Rossing. Uh, Dr. Barbara Rossing is a professor at the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. She was one of my professors in seminary. Uh, and she is one of the, uh, recognizes one of the top apocalypse, apocalyptic slash revelation scholars in the world. She wrote this really uh, important book uh, a few years back, uh, talking about what the book of Revelation is, what does it mean, and what is its importance for us as Christians. So she, uh, I took a few classes with her in seminary. She is a very fascinating woman. She's extremely smart and has some really great insights. So what we're going to do is just watch a couple of these uh, and these were part of a Bible study, um, I believe, for the Presbyterian Church, uh, a women's Bible study. So she's been asked to do some videos to go with it. So although we didn't read the Bible study, it's okay. Listen to what she has to say. We'll listen to it, talk about it, read, listen, talk, and read. So this is the first one. Or not. Super awkward silence. It would have been too easy if it just loaded like it did earlier. I can. There we go. Just stops. Yeah. It's like, oh. <coughs> Maybe your curse, that's what I smell like. Of course. I mean, I am just like... Let's start with session one, and the scripture reading for this is the first chapter of Revelation. Which we started reading. Right away, you will encounter images and phrases that are um, difficult to come to terms with. So let me sort of give you some points of orientation for this. The very first word in the book of Revelation is the word apocalypse, the Greek word apocalypse, usually translated as revelation. Oh, oh come on, Barbara. Call it. Help us out. We were doing so good, too which is an excellent translation. That is what apocalypse means. It means pulling back a curtain to show us something um, and to invite us more deeply into what... The words don't match the way her mouth is moving. No, no it doesn't. Our poor video. Our poor video. Let's try and back out and go back in. This is the fun part. Or we part. can just go down to the library. The author wants us Mm-hmm. Um, not like working. Yeah, let's take a field trip. Field yeah. trip. <laughs> I'm not logged in downstairs. Alright, let's try it again. There we go. Let's give her another shot. This is more promising. Let's start with session one. And the scripture reading for this is the first chapter of Revelation. Right away, you will encounter images and phrases that are um, difficult to come to terms with. So let me sort of give you some points of orientation for this. The very first word in the book of Revelation is the word apocalypse, the Greek word apocalypse, usually translated as revelation, which is an excellent translation. That is what apocalypse means. It means pulling back a curtain to show us something um, and to invite us more deeply into what the author wants us to see. Apocalypses were very common in the ancient world. People loved them. So we're not so familiar with apocalypses, but ancient people were. And they tend to follow certain patterns. Apocalypses will use very vivid um, colors, numbers, um, 
sort of exaggerated the imagery to make their point. They often take people on a journey, and that's what we'll see in Revelation, certainly. The journey can be um, going up into layers of heaven or down into layers of the underworld, and we'll see that in Revelation in chapter 4, we're going to go up into heaven. Or it can be journeying out into the future or back into the past, and Revelation does that as well. So um, we go with the author, who is John of Pamos, on this journey, this visionary journey, and then he comes back to us with an urgent message of hope. So that's what the word apocalypse means, contrary to what um, Hollywood and other um, venues want us to think that it means destruction and death and catastrophe. It doesn't mean that. It means revelation. It means Which is exactly what we said. So John is using that word because he wants to show us something. Then another word that he uses in this opening chapter that I think is misunderstood is the word prophecy. And um, Prophecy does not mean predicting the future. When John uses it and calls his book Christian Prophecy, what he's doing is situating himself in the context with the Old Testament prophets, whose job it is to proclaim God's message of salvation and God's message of judgment. So that's what John is doing. He's not predicting the future. Even though he's showing us something, he's definitely revealing something. But I think if you really consider that those words don't, mean what we necessarily think they do, that will help you as we make our way through the book. Another thing to keep in mind is the Roman Empire. That's the backdrop against which John is writing. That was the context within which he and everybody, all his readers, lived. And um, you could say they lived in a sense under occupation. Um, so the Roman Empire was everywhere in that ancient world. They had conquered the entire Mediterranean basin. There was nowhere to go except in the Roman Empire. And Rome aggressively um, promoted its own theology and its own ideology with propaganda that people in the cities of Revelation, the seven cities, would have seen on arches, on uh, monuments of all kinds. There would have been civic parades and celebrations. Everywhere people went in their daily life, they were bombarded with the images of the Roman Empire. One of those images is on page 11 of the study, the Gemma Augustea. Okay. So I wanted you to get that initial orientation. So uh, she made some of the points we've already made, right? So what, what does apocalypse mean? An apocalypse is a type of writing, and it's revealing, pulling aside of the curtain to see something hidden. Uh, and, and again, she made mention very briefly in there about that there's good news at the base of it, right? That somewhere deep within you'll find good news. So let's do this. Let's go uh, to uh, chapter 5. Chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 11 through 14. And a heads up to you is that on the third week of Easter, this will be one of our readings. So, uh, so this is this year, year C of the lectionary, the third Sunday of Easter. This will actually be one of our Sunday readings. So if you come to church, that would be early on in May, you'll actually hear us read this text and maybe even a sermon on it. So uh, can someone do me a favor and read out of chapter 5, uh, verses 11 through 14? Someone willing? Anyone? She didn't read yet. What? Would you like to read for us? You can do it. 11 through 14. Go ahead. Let me find it. Okay. Chapter 5, 11 through 14. Then I looked. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. So a whole bunch. Okay. <laughs> Saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive the power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth and in the sea, and, and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and, the, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Great. Thank you. So now, um, I'm going to read to you this. You may know this song from church, okay? This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Worthy is Christ, the Lamb who was slain, whose blood set us free to be people of God. Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, blessing, glory are his. Uh, sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. Blessing, honor, glory, and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. The words that you just read mm-hmm. is where we get the words for that. So one of the cool things I want you to realize is that Revelation, we, we think it's this frightening book, but actually Revelation has a lot of songs in it. There's a lot of times where the angelic hosts, these angels or, or different um, um, uh, deities, right, who, who exist in this vision, sing. And, and their songs, actually, some of them are even for us, that we still uh, sing some of these songs. They find their way into our worship. So one of the, the things I want you to take with you is even... Though this book is hard to understand and has a lot of really bizarre images, the images still work for us and still have a place in our life. So, uh, I want to go then to chapter 21. And if someone else, Liam, can you do me a favor and read chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. You can do that. Chapter 21, 1 through 6. Alright, there you go. Go ahead. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there mourning, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things he passed away, or for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne, and said, "Behold, I am making all things new." Also, he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The, the beginning and the end. To the, thirst, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without paper. Thank you. Does that sound positive? Yeah. yeah. What about it sounds positive? It sounds like good news there. No crying. No crying. What else? No pain. No pain. What else? No mourning. No, no mourning. What was that? No. No fire, right? In fact, not only do... Yeah, no, yeah. If you're pyromaniacs, this is terrible. Uh, not only is there no fire, but where are we drinking from all of a sudden? The river. The river of what? Of life. Of life. Right, the river of life. Where is heaven in this? Where is heaven? It's where heaven is. Yeah, okay, yes, heaven is where heaven is. But where is it? Let's ask that then. Where is it uh, particularly? 
on Earth. It is in it's on Earth. <laughs> ah, it's actually the exact opposite of what you just said. It's not here. It's but it is here. It's it's here, here, but not here. I like the hand motions on Earth. For those listening, <laughs> if you could just see the hand motions, this all makes perfect sense. So, um, heaven is coming down like what? It says coming down from the sky like what? In verse 2. Like, um, a bride. Yes, a bride adorned for her husband. So this sort of grand entry. Have you, have you ever been to a wedding? Any of you? Nope. nope. All right. Well, if you've been I've to been a to wedding, a so oh, you've been to a year. Same difference, right? I've so been to any of them. at a wedding, what happens when the bride comes in? What do people do? We stand up, up and she walks down slowly. You stand up and then she walks Very as slow as possible, medium. and they take as many photos as they can, and then yeah. half the people just immediately break out crying. It's just sort yeah. of how weddings work, no, right? Yeah. That's Kim like, Kardashian in a nutshell. So, so That's what you have to think of is this: the sky is ripping open. And heaven is no longer somewhere far away, but heaven is coming down. And it's coming down like a bride. Well, yeah, but it, it comes down as a bride adorned for the husband. And, and so with that, essentially the image I want you to have is people are like standing up and craning their necks to see it. Just like at a wedding, when that bride starts to walk in, everyone stands up and is paying attention suddenly. And so everyone is watching as heaven comes in. And so where then does it say God dwells? Where does God live in verse 3? Where does God, where does the voice say God lives? Live with us, right? The home of God is among mortals. And then later, some of you mentioned this. Uh, God, uh, God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. So... One of the really amazing things that happens in Revelation is that John of Patmos, this guy who wrote this, gets this vision. And the vision is that heaven is no longer some distant thing, but that heaven for us, when the time, when the end of times happens, right? When the apocalypse occurs, whatever you want to call it, it's not a frightening thing. In fact, it's the moment where God dwells with us in a new way where heaven is no longer a distant place, but heaven is here. And Barbara Ross, we're not going to watch a video particularly about it, but she would say that's why we need to, as Christians, take care of the earth we have, because we're not like going to jump off of it to a different place suddenly one day, right? We're not going to like escape here to heaven somewhere else and be like, see you later, loser planet. But instead, like, heaven is coming here. And so if we ultimately think that heaven will be where we already are, we have a responsibility to take care of the place we already are. Now, again, God will make all things new, it says. But at the same time, we have a responsibility to see creation itself as a heavenly gift already ours, but as a gift that will be made new once more when the time comes. And that's a really, now that seems to be an easy way to read this. However, there's some issues. And the issue doesn't come with that, that interpretation or even the translation. The issue comes with people over the years have come up with this idea of the rapture. Have you ever heard about the rapture? Yep. What happens at the rapture? Everything. People start rapping. People, yeah. Yeah. Essentially, rapture, people start rapping, perhaps. But more particularly, <laughs> at the rapture, the, uh, the narrative is that all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye... Some people are going to disappear, oh, no. and some people are going to be left. It's Once like Thanos a Thanos snap. snap. It's like a Thanos snap. Exactly. I said it before so, you. I said Thanos if there's, snap. And look, I'm using Thanos a purple snap. marker nonetheless. So. 
yeah. we're gonna say a Thanos snap because that will have to be on the test. So Please. on the quiz. Yeah. So imagine that you are reading this book, right? And you read this book and you're like, oh man, this is interesting, not sure what to do with this. And then all of a sudden people start saying, Yeah, and you know what'll happen when this happens? Is that one day God'll Thanos snap, right? Snap those fingers and some of us will disappear and you'll never be seen again. And some of you will be here left behind. We'll be here forever. And those left behind, where do you think you want to be in that scenario? I want to be Thanos. You want to be Thanos snap. So So, what ended up happening is there's these series of books and there's like a kajillion of them and they're called the Left Behind series. And have you read these or heard of nope. these? All right. Nope. So Left Behind is this series of books based upon this idea of rapture. The idea being that at some point in history, in the future, God will Thanos snap Wait. some of us out of existence. Does that mean Thanos is God? In this scenario, yes. Oh my so, God. well played. Um, I'm not sure that makes Rocket Raccoon. We'll figure it out. But the point is, I would get rid of Thanos. Get these Thanos books became on. wildly popular. This one says 1.5 million sold in stores, and that was many years ago. There's like 40 of these books, okay? Now, the problem with these books is this idea of the rapture, which people associate with Revelation, Apocalypse, End of Times, isn't actually anywhere in Scripture. What someone did years ago was put together this idea that this is what's going to happen. And then over the years, people have just sort of perpetuated this idea that it's somehow connected to the apocalypse and revelation, when in reality, it's not. And so I want you to hold on to that because there are going to be people in your life who are going to say, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to talk, you'll get on the topic of the Bible and people want to talk about the book of Revelation because they hear about it so much because, and they don't know a lot about it and because they love Thanos. Yeah. And, and so the idea is so often that conversation will end up in talking about the rapture. But again, the rapture is not right. biblically accurate. And so, so what I want you to hear is Barbara Rossing is going to do a very brief uh, thing. And it's important to hear what it is that she has to say because this is one of the most common misconceptions of the book of Revelation, of John's apocalyptic writing. Tell us about the origins of the rapture. Well, the rapture is not a biblical word. That's the most important thing to say, first of all. It's not in the Bible. The so-called rapture, I don't even like to call it the rapture. The so-called rapture was invented in the 19th century by a British preacher named John Nelson Darby, who took the traditional fact of Jesus' second coming, which has been traditional Christian theology, but he split Jesus' second coming into two parts. He said, first, Jesus would come and just hover above the earth and take Christians up to heaven out of their beds or wherever for seven years. And then he inserted this supposed seven-year period of tribulation into the middle, during which he said that God would inflict all these terrible disasters on the planet. And then at the end of that, Jesus would come back for a second, second coming. So he invented this whole notion of the two-part second coming of Christ with the seven-year tribulation in between, but he based it on the traditional understanding of Jesus' second coming. So that's why the whole thing is so problematic. It sounds biblical, but it isn't. It's an invention of this 19th century preaching. I mean, you could piece it together by taking a scripture verse here, a scripture verse there, lining them all up, and making the chronology seem biblical. That's what they do. It's a, what I call a kind of pick-and-choose literalism. So they'll piece together a verse from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians about how we're going to go up and 
into the air to meet Jesus with the passage from Matthew about how um, two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Then they get their whole scenario from a verse in Daniel chapter 9. So they piece it together. The reason I'm speaking out against the rapture is because how it's spilled over into our American public life. People are taking this supposed version of the biblical timeline, the biblical script, and thinking that it mandates a certain set of events to happen in Israel, in the Middle East, um, in order for Jesus to be able to return. And the danger is that people will seek to precipitate these kinds of events, and their wars and battles. I mean, their idea of what is necessary for Jesus to be able to return is um, bloody battles of Armageddon, taking it literally out of the book of Revelation with blood up to the height of the horse's bridles all over the Middle East. It's a terribly violent and unchristian scenario of what God wants for our future. Theologically, the problem with the supposed rapture is it teaches people to be scared all the time, to think that Jesus is going to come back at any minute, and he knows whether you've been good or bad, so yeah, be good for goodness sakes. And I talk so many times to people who grew up with this sense of fear, um, little kids who they came home from school, their mother wasn't home, you know, maybe she was at the neighbors or at the store, but their immediate thought was, oh, she's been raptured and I've been left behind. And I think it's almost a sort of spiritual abuse of people to, to give this um, fear-based notion that Jesus is coming back at this um, scary, unknown moment and is going to snatch people up to him, he's going to separate families. Um, children under the age of 12 will supposedly go up, although that's not anywhere in the Bible, and that people will go without their clothes. I mean, this whole goofy scenario, it's, it's, it's been abusive to people. So, I'm getting snapped. You're getting, you're getting snapped. <laughs> no, so, okay, I, I need to point something out. Yes. So, the rapture was invented by a British preacher. Yes. Does this mean Thanos is British? Could be. If we're going to go down this line, I, I think that if you get anything out of confirmation this year, is that Thanos ultimately in Endgame will be revealed to have been British all along. Yes. And that's that would be the biggest mic drop of an ending to any series you'll ever witness yeah, in your life. And he snaps and it's like uh, you know, and then just wipes out half of the crew. So I'm sure I understand. Oh my poor watch. Yeah, my watch is even like I don't think you know what you're talking about. Um <laughs> so uh, what I want you to take away from tonight that I alright. You can take a Jesus? whole class on Revelation. In fact, I did. I took a whole class on Revelation. I, there's people who, uh, like Barbara, Dr. Rossing, who spend their entire professional careers pouring over one book of the Bible, reading it and translating it, and, and, cons and concerning herself with the intricacies of the images and what do they mean or not mean. What I hope you take out of tonight is Revelation itself is not scary. And I hope that you see that from some of the pieces we read that it has a purpose for us, whether it be we use it in our liturgy or music, um, or we use it to comfort. Uh, that portion of uh, chapter 21 that you read, I use at funerals all the time. Why do you think a text like that would be appropriate for a funeral? What about what, what, what that says do you think would be comforting for people? That they'll see them again. All right, so that sense, well, the, yeah, the sense that God is going to be here, right? That God's home is here. And that there's no more what? No more crying, no more pain, oh, okay. tears, that death, any of those things. I kind of thought that people would come down too. Oh, ah, well, there you go. Well, that could be the case too. 
But what I want, so what I want you to hear is Revelation and Barbara Rossing's ultimate thesis is Revelation, if read in a frightening way, means you're misreading it. That yes, there are frightening images, but that these images are part of the genre, right? It's like when you tell a scary story, right? These movies, a lot of them aren't based in reality, but they know that in order to evoke the emotions they want, they have to bend what seems real in order to make you feel a certain thing, like Final Destination, right? Like, yeah. not necessarily real, but what do they do? They bend reality in a way to where it leaves you wondering, huh, I know that's not real, and I know that this <laughs> is a movie, but could this happen, right? Like, the yeah, most frightening... Parents no longer drive behind, like, those trucks with, like, logs. logs. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. <laughs> but you, you, have, you have these moments where you have... Um, you have to think for yourself, are these images physical, real images or not? And she brought up one last good point. John refers to himself as a prophetic voice. And we've talked about prophecies. Prophecies are not predicting the future. Prophecies are truth tellers. Those who, uh, those who are prophetic tell the truth, God's truth. And ultimately, the argument is, is that so many people think that God's truth in Revelation is gloom, doom, and destruction. When in reality, from a couple of the pieces we read and from the totality of the book, what you'll find is that it's actually really good news, but it also is alarming news because it, has, it jolts you awake to be aware of what's going on around you. It's a way of telling a story in a fashion that the people who he was writing to would listen up and they would get the images. They would be able to connect what he's referencing and what this number means or that thing means. And, and sometimes it's hard for us because we don't live 2,000 years ago under Roman occupation. We live in the Western world 2,000 years later. So it's hard for us sometimes. So the other thing too is um, rapture. Rapture is not a biblical idea. Uh, the way she put it is the only way it's a biblical idea is if you pick and choose different verses and you line them up in a timeline. But I'm gonna tell you right now, if that's how you read scripture, then you're reading it very poorly. Right? We don't, you can't pick and choose things here, 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 and here, and then string them together and say, see, it says exactly what I told you is going to happen. Her argument is that's the only way rapture is biblical is if you approach scripture that way. So she says, that's not how you should read it. Therefore, we have to be open-minded about how to approach something like an apocalyptic writing such as Revelation is. So that's it for tonight. Um, the one reminder I have for you is uh, two weeks or a week from Sunday is the prayer breakfast. So you, you are, uh, that is happening. Uh, you're going to help uh, prepare it. So it's 7.15, I believe you got to be here that Sunday morning. And remember, this is to help support you in the various trips and activities you do. So if you can be here, we really expect you to be here and would love you to be here. And it's a wonderful way to be involved. Wait, so what day is it? A week from Sunday. So Palm Passion Sunday. So on Palm Sunday, uh, Judy will remind you as well. So, okay.